Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film. Sitting across the room from me is Steven Schleicher. Hello. And sitting across the internet from me is Rodrigo Lopez. Hey, guys. Hey, we're all back talking some news today because um, we're not going to go watch a movie this week, so we're going to talk about some general news, throwing yeah. it back to the old kind of days. Um, So a movie we're going to watch this week, but now we are going to talk about next week, is a movie Steven has been really excited about and I believe was on his list for most anticipated mm-hmm. film of the summer. Yeah, yeah. Is The Nice Guys. Nice Guys. So we're going to talk about that next week. The weird thing about that movie, though, I think it's been sitting on the shelf for like a year. You think so? I think it has been for some reason. It's like one that has just been sitting around and they finally decided to yank it off and distribute it. They've been doing a lot of promotion for it, like Gosling and mm-hmm. uh, What's-His-Face have been on all the late nights all over the place lately, so they've really been gearing up for it. Um, but in the news, is Shane Black is the director of The Nice Guys, and uh, people will know Shane Black from his work on Iron Man 3, which... Uh, Came about in the news today, or this week at least, uh, because Shane Black revealed that during their first uh, script of Iron Man 3, they initially had a female villain in it. But if you've seen Iron Man 3, you will know that is not how it ended up. Right. Uh, and Shane Black said the reason that was changed because execs told them that they had to change it from a female um, for a reason that I just found just crazy is because of toy sales. And I think we've talked about merchandise and toys a lot on the show, but to me, it's it feels crazy that it's still like that big of a player in executives' decisions about how they're going to go about with their giant blockbuster films. Yeah, this one in particular is weird because I'm guessing they are referring to the actual like secret villain of Iron Man 3, right? Yeah, killing him. Yeah. yeah. Not not the Mandarin. No, not the Mandarin. Mm-hmm. Kill him. And, and I just wonder about how many guy peers in a white button-up shirt uh, action figures they sold. Oh, well, you know? hey, this might, this might be real shocking. Uh, none. They sold none. Yeah. Because there were no Killian action figures made. Yeah. The only place that Aldrich Killian uh, showed up was in a... Um, in a game, what is the the Hero Clicks game? There was a Hero Clicks uh, figure made. Oh, okay. And then there was an Iron Man three Mini Mates two pack that had Tony Stark and uh, Killian. But that's it. Yeah. There were no Hot Toys. <laughs> there were no uh, Marvel action figure stuff. Mm-hmm. Nothing based on that was um, 
was ever released for which, this figure. Which makes sense to me because when this news came out, I had to stop and think, like, who was the villain in Iron Man 3? Yeah, who really cares? It was a horrible movie. <laughs> exactly. The, <laughs> the, that's the crazy thing about that coming about in this movie is the whole point is that there was this big flamboyant villain and it turns out it wasn't him it was someone else right. and that someone else is specifically written to not be flamboyant you know you can you know obviously they kind of set you up for it but yeah it's not like you know you're uh the dude at the end of Iron Man 1 who ends up in a giant iron suit himself, sure. right? Yeah. Um and, and I mean I, I you know the the this character uh, was a Killian was that his name? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. he you know he goes into the extremist fire thing but again, you know it it is really, really it was, just like it was uh Pepper Potts that saved the day. She's the hero of that movie. Sure. And, oh, yeah. and she got one I think um I think she got one hero hot toys figure made out of her. Yeah. So it's it's really crazy that, uh, on the one hand, it's crazy that that's that came about in this movie. But really, what it lets you know is that this must be in place for every movie, right? Like the executives didn't necessarily look at the script and said, "Oh man, if people find out that the." dinosaur spider at the end of this movie is actually a girl they won't buy it they said i don't know what this is going to be about i can kind of see where you're going with this draft make sure it's not a girl because girls don't sell toys the um the article the uprocks interview with uh, shane black that zach's um referencing though says specifically that isaac perlmutter is the one who said well, maybe uh, they insinuate that it's Isaac yeah. Perlmutter, who is the head of, at the time, he was the head of uh, Marvel Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Right now, after the big uh, break with uh, Feige and uh, Perlmutter, uh, he's only in charge of the television side and the comic book side. But he still sits on the board of Disney. And, the, you know, the, I think the implication in the article that Uproxx was doing and some other people had, had followed up on was that Perlmutter says that girl toys don't sell, which is something that we've heard before. Bleeding Cool had talked about this like a year or two ago. Uh, where he had specifically said something in a in a memo about uh, girl toys don't sell, and we talked about it. I think on the Major Spoilers podcast, uh, I think at the time. Um, but it's but it's really odd, especially after the results of Frozen, after we've seen what happened with Star Wars, especially now uh, Star Wars came out after mm-hmm. uh, Iron Man three. Well, I mean, yeah, Star Wars is a perfect example. You know, there were no Ray action figures. I mean, they were made, but they were under ordered. And then there was the whole debacle with the Monopoly, with the Star Wars Monopoly figures, mm-hmm. right? Where you could play as like, like one of the pieces was Darth Vader, who wasn't even in the movie, but they didn't have a Ray piece. Yeah, I think the, the justification for that wasn't that girl. The justification was that they didn't want to, there was a couple of figures that didn't go into that set because it would have spoiled what was happening in the movie. Is what the yes. justification yeah, sure. was for that for, but I mean the the whole and thing I with Star Wars. Believe it. The whole thing with the Star Wars though was, it actually proves that female action figures will sell, mm-hmm. and we've seen them sell before. And I don't, and, and so that that argument still doesn't ring true to me, especially when you see the superhero girls line, which again is another line that's come out after the Iron Man three movie. 
But the superhero girls line from DC Comics, they can't keep it on the shelves because it sells out instantly. It doesn't matter how many they order. It sells out instantly. Even here in our own uh, local Walmart, the uh, Indial uh, piece that they had, the day that they released it, uh, I went in the afternoon and they only had two pieces left on the shelf because people had snacked it up, uh, snagged it up so quickly. Wow. So I think, you know, the, this argument is is bunk. Um, sure. And I don't uh, I don't know what the whole point of of Shane Black bringing it up uh, was, except maybe to say, hey, we were forced to change this well, because you know, of upper management. I think I think it's something that he's been holding on to for a while. And now they've gone and interviewed him about stuff. And somebody brought up Iron Man and just the time was right. And he's like, yeah, we had to change the script. And basically, because this is the headline. The headline is they were told to change the bad guy's uh, gender right. because right. of toys. But this, what he actually says is they actually um, shrunk the parts of multiple women characters mm-hmm. in the movie. Mm-hmm. Other women were going to have larger roles. And presumably that girl that Tony knows that he's kind of involved with and that Pepper Potts is jealous of, presumably she was going to be the actual villain of the piece. Yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, they don't say as much, but really the eventually it gets to the scandalous part about the action figure and a straight up memo coming down for corporate. But I think what he was getting at is that there were multiple, you know, grievous, uh, you know, kind of uh, changes to the script. Right. And I think you're right. He's like kept it long enough. It's far enough distance from Iron Man that now he kind of has the ability to bring it up. You know, Steven, you have kids. Yeah. And they like toys. Yeah, they do. Um, I mean, do you, after like a big movie, Marvel movie comes out, are they wanting toys like so much? Do you think? No. Uh, what they want is Lego. That's what they want. They, right want, they yeah. want Lego. And yeah. um, they don't, I mean, the youngest especially could care less about whether it's a girl toy or a boy toy. Because when Frozen came out uh, two years ago or whatever, however mm-hmm. long it was, that's all he wanted for Christmas was Frozen stuff. And he was tickled oh. pink that he got Elsa. He loved the fact that he got. Uh, uh, the other girl too, whatever her name, Elsa, and then Anna. Uh, Anna. He was so tickled that he got that, and I was like, "Well, here's you know." Uh, and we also got him the uh, Hans figure, and he's like, "Yeah, that's all right." Uh, but he loved the fact that he got the snowman. I mean, those were the three that he wanted, and he played with those for months and months and months, and could care less whether it was boy girl stuff. Mm-hmm. So, well, I'm just, I mean, I guess I don't. We, we let's talk about box office budgets and how. You know, movies have to make up make up uh, what they spent to create the film, but we don't ever really see numbers from merchandise. And in my mind, it was like that they're selling enough merchandise that an exec thought it was um, financially reasonable to change something so they could have better toys in his mind. Like that was just the crazy thing. Like they're selling that many toys that it warrants a change in a yeah, script the, on the any level. Probably didn't. I mean, we have not seen. Well, except for Star Wars again, uh, just this last uh, Christmas, um, we have not seen major, major merchandising hauls. Uh, we see that with Frozen. We saw it with the Lego movie. We saw it with the prequel trilogy when the uh, the first uh, prequel movie arrived of Star Wars. Uh, people went nuts for that. But really, people understood from 76 onward that merchandising, especially in the case of Star Wars, is really where you can make some money at the box office beyond what your box office receipts are. And so that's, you know, 76 is when that kind of became more of an important thing. Uh, Now, when we think merchandising, 
it's not just action figures or Lego sets or uh, those kinds of things. It's your T-shirts. It's your cufflinks. It's your uh, Hot Topic cologne uh, Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Uh, That's where a lot of the merchandising is that you don't notice because the focus is always on toys, 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 toys. Well, and there's a reason when you do look at the toys that there haven't been these big uh, things, you know, like the, the, the big hauls happened with Frozen and with the Star Wars prequels and with the Lego movie is because those movies are actually geared for children, right. which Marvel movies are not. They are – some of them are movies kids can watch. Some of them are movies kids can enjoy, but they're not for children. They are – you know, they star – 30-year-olds and up, um, and they are not um, fair that kids would enjoy, whereas I would argue the Star Wars prequels, definitely episode one, is entirely geared at children. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so is Return of the Jedi. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, is this an, is this an Ewoks thing? <laughs> no, it's, totally an, it's totally an Ewoks thing. I mean, it's totally geared for children for that, for that very specific reason. Um, I don't know if I would agree with you completely. I mean, I know that uh, Marvel movies can sometimes be a little bit more intense. Uh, that's why we had to leave uh, uh, Days of Future Past. Yeah. But um, I don't know. The kids get into it. I mean, they see the commercials and they're like, oh, yes, Iron Man or, oh, yes, look at Black Widow doing these things and look at this. And they get excited about the concept of the superhero. Um, I well, think the thing that that the movies are not geared towards kids are is because the movies now are two and a half hours long. And in the case of Captain America, winter soldier and civil war, there's a huge sub, you know, there's a huge plot and subtext going on that are not about let's punch and fight and blow things up. It's about political intrigue and those kinds of things. And that's Mm -hmm. part of the reason why I think that the prequels were somewhat boring because they were talking about trade negotiations. And in fact, almost an entire series of star Wars, the clone wars is all about trade negotiations and the business side of why the rebels and the Alliance were falling apart or the, uh, the empire and the Alliance were falling apart. And that's stuff that you're right. Kids aren't interested in. Well, there is this big glossy thing of, Ooh, Iron Man is cool. Ooh, Captain America is cool. Ooh, the Hulk is cool. So when I go down the toy aisle and I see the big foam fists or I see the the masks yeah. or the shield or whatever, kids want that kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, I think uh, definitely your Ray and Finn action figures um, were kind of straddling that line. It's just like mm-hmm. um, it basically Ray is the very first um Star Wars offering from a movie that is actually a girl character that people would be into you know it's like we the the Clone Wars has had Ahsoka for a long time that's about it um so it uh yeah it's like when you look at you you know just kind of the way that uh toys toy sales go and what they expect you can tell that these guys are like actually completely disconnected from what the audience is going to want. And that's because they're still kind of worshiping this ancient arcane religion of like kind of this like separation between boy toys and girl toys and boy properties and girl properties. And that kind of doesn't work anymore. You have a lot of stuff that just cuts across like Minecraft, mm-hmm. like um, Steven Universe 
um, like all this stuff that is appealing to both boys and girls. I mean, again, you know, Star Wars having a female action character is a great example of, you know, basically just these guys holding the like the toys with like the little cardboard hook on top of the box and not being able to figure out what aisle they should put it in the purple aisle or the purple and pink aisle or the one that gets to have all the colors. You guys, uh, you've seen the movie big with Tom Hanks. Yeah. It dances on a piano. Yeah. There's yeah. A, you know, there's this huge scene. I mean, uh, one of the things is Tom Hanks is a big guy and a little boy in a big guy's body. Uh, and he's working for a toy company because the owner is like, Oh, there's something about you that you really understand what kids want. And there's this whole scene where they're trying to talk about a, a building that turns into a robot or something. Mm -hmm. And Tom Hanks is like, well, this is dumb. His character is dumb. This is dumb. Nobody's going to play with a building. I mean, what does it do? And I, I, I don't know, but I would expect or suspect that there are many toy companies, um, that are just going by what their CEOs or board members are saying and not really saying, what do kids think? Let's get some kids in here. And, And the problem with that is if you bring a kid in and you say, hey, here's a girl Star Wars character, or here is a Killian uh, action figure. What do you guys think about this? Well, then that gets out months ahead of Toy Fair or anything like that, and that potentially ruins, um, you know, could be the, a, a the big, movie. It's a, a huge spoiler. Movie. It could. I mean, it could be. I mean, you, you think about that. If, if you said, here's this new toy line that's coming out, and they're like, uh, here's this cr- girl, uh, Ray, who's going to be the hero of the new Star Wars movie, and here's her action figure. And what do you guys think about this? And the kids go back to school the next week, and they're like, "Oh yeah, the girl's name is Ray, and she's the Star Wars character. She's a big thing, and the action figures." This, I don't this, know. This. Kids have a pretty good sense of. Uh, I don't think so. Of uh, no. censorship. Classes. No, they don't. <laughs> they have no control over that. So I think I, some of that maybe you know, in some I of these bigger that. properties. In some of these bigger properties, I think they probably are not going with test subjects, and they're going by market data just yeah, like well, just like the 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 whole reason why we why advertising panders to the younger audience is because back in 1960 someone wrote a memo yep. that said people want to be young people want to be pretty people want to be liked and so therefore if you want to sell stuff you target this demographic. You can go online and find the, mm-hmm. the actual pamphlet and it's ridiculous because the person was just making this stuff up they had no actual a background on this and a lot of that has just stuck over the years and so you've got some uh, stodgy yeah. people who are working at Disney and Hasbro who are sitting around thinking that they know what's going on or they have kids that have grown up and moved out uh, and still think that they know what the the young kids want and so they're making these edicts and dictates on toys that probably are completely off base and this is why like uh, Rodrigo had said things like Steven Universe come, seem to come out of nowhere and be huge hits because and, and and simultaneously have no merchandise right. to back them up. Yeah, and that's a lot of the Tartakovsky shows have been yeah, uh, uh, ruined because of this. Because they're big hits and people don't know what to, to do with them. And, you know, I don't want to say anything bad about Isaac Perlmutter, but if you go onto the, to the message boards and the websites out there, he's pretty much a penny pincher. He wants to cut costs wherever possible. And he created this this idea with Marvel that he can cut 
things in a certain way and show a profit. And now that he's on the board at Disney, he's doing some of those similar things. And if he went and was running bean counter numbers and saying, well, if we have a female action, uh, we have a female villain in here, we're going to sell this fewer action figures and that's going to cost, that's going to eat into our bottom line. So therefore we have to get rid of these things. I mean, I could see something like that happening with someone like that, if that is indeed the case. But I I just think that, that these people are, uh, bottom line is they're out of touch. No, with, absolutely. With I think you're right. I think this uh, they're following conventional wisdom. And conventional wisdom, especially when it's the people in charge, has a way of perpetuating itself. You know, it's like, well, girl characters don't sell. And then when you look at it, they're looking at sales overall. And anytime there's a girl character that they do put in an action figure, they order fewer of them. This happened with the Ray action figure. So if Star Wars had not been Star Wars, if, if uh, Episode 7 had not been Star Wars and people had bought a normal level of action figures from them, then they look at those numbers and it would be they would be like, ah, yep, see, we were right. All 100... Uh, units of Finn or like 100 million units of Finns that we ordered yeah, sold, all sold out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, all 80 units of Ray that we ordered sold out. She made less money though, so there you go. Yeah. Hmm. The other thing to think that maybe the people that are in these positions are out of touch is mm-hmm. ever since Black Widow appeared in Iron Man 2, long before the Avengers movie, and ever since then, people. Boys, girls, men, women have all said, yeah, uh, Black Widow is actually a really cool character in this Marvel Universe. When are we getting a standalone movie featuring her? And we're now into phase four and they have yet to announce. They said, well, we're going to do it. But no, they have yet to to Mm -hmm. announce that they're going to do a Black Widow movie. And because and they because back, people won't they go, gonna do a, they're gonna do a Captain Marvel movie, right? Yeah, that one's still in the that one's still, still scheduled. And that one's still going. it got it got pushed back though. It uh, got pushed back like two years. Did it get pushed back? I know Inhumans was pushed completely off the board. Yeah, Inhumans got taken out, and Captain Marvel got. I, I think it was going to be a 2017 release, and then got pushed to 2019. I I might be wrong about that, but I know it got pushed back at least one year. Cool. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, so I mean, I guess a good takeaway from this is that what's his pinker pinkerman face? Perlmutter. Perlmutter is not uh, in a position to make decisions like this anymore. And hopefully, well, no. The problem is he yeah, is exactly. in the, well, I guess he's in the exactly. board. He's in that he's not, position. He's not running. He's not in the same position he he's, was at Iron Man, though. Right. Well, look, he he is not in charge of Marvel Studios anymore. Right. That's Kevin Feige. Right. Or Feige or whatever. Um. So, but everything else he still controls, including toys, because the toys uh, come out of, come out of something totally separate. It's not part of Marvel Studios, so he's still in charge of the comic books and the TV and the merchandising and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. He's still in charge of all that. Oh, the only thing that Feige has is the is the movies, the Marvel Studios, and he answers directly to Bob Iger now. Right, and so now anything that comes up in the future of Action figures, female protagonists or female lead antagonists uh, is going to go to Feige. And if there's a problem, you can't pass the buck on Perlmutter anymore because it's going to be Feige and uh, Bob Iger. And that's that's where the buck stops right there. So things are going to have to be sorted out on that end. Mm. Well, we'll keep following that then. See if anything else comes out when directors talk three years after their movies release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, interesting story I stumbled upon. Um, you know, we've been seeing 
bigger budget movies like Iron Man 3, the Transformers movies, just anything that's really big budget action film, mm-hmm. somehow just decides to take a diversion of their plot line and end up in China for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly it's because, you know, China is becoming one of the largest uh, audiences for film as the country kind of opens up new studios and uh, theaters are opening up that allow uh, their citizens to watch films. So they have a lot of people. That means they can make a whole lot of money, and you're seeing that when you look at box office numbers from this, and China takes up a whole lot of that international box office hall. Uh, This week, HBO has signed a deal with the China Movie Channel that they're going to start developing content uh, in China and then uh, spread it out, uh, show it in uh, China through the China Movie Channel, and then HBO will carry it overseas, which would be America and Europe and things like that. Um, I found this really interesting, mainly because I mean, you're talking about the largest country in the world um, with a large population, and they are growing uh, in this essentially like film savviness, and mm-hmm. people are going to the mm-hmm. theaters. When is it going to be that they are producing films that are going to end up on our shores and in our theaters instead of kind of the other way around. Well, they already are. I mean, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden, Hidden Dragon uh, was probably the biggest import from yeah, China. But that, I mean, that was like, what, 15 years ago? Yeah, it's about, yeah, it's about that. Yeah. yeah. yeah uh, I mean, and you see a lot more, so. Well, the, the thing about HBO is that HBO has a direct revenue stream, right? Mm-hmm. So um, they can definitely um, develop shows in china and keep an eye out for things that uh, americans are gonna like and then do that you know maybe americans are not ever gonna get into chinese soap operas but they really like you know sword fighting and flying around and kicking people movies so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know that sort of thing definitely has a place um and and that stuff continues to come to the united states it doesn't make it into big crazy right uh theater uh, experiences, but I know like there are new kung fu movies on Netflix constantly. Oh yeah, and if you look on iTunes, the import movies uh, from the international stuff, it's mostly Chinese films more than any other that are mm-hmm. that are in there. So it's the market is there. I think the interesting thing is uh, about this article is that um, you know they're they're making this development to create quality movies for HBO, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But it's all being financed through Chinese dollars. And right now, China has the fastest growing uh, middle um, economy class, Mm -hmm. uh, middle class uh, population in the world. And that's why we saw things like this week, going back to toys, the largest Lego store in the world opens up in China, oh. the you know you've got a new Disneyland theme park opening up in China. You've got all these developments opening up in China because now a lot of the population is starting to have extra money, money to spend. Yep. Mm-hmm. And where do they want to spend it? They want to spend it on cool things uh, that they see uh, in other countries. And when they see movies that are cool, that's what they want to check out too. So maybe if it's Game of Thrones, maybe that's what they're going to be into. Um, and so if vice versa, if, if HBO is bringing it, uh, Chinese products to America, it's going to be funded by someone else. So for HBO, it's a great way to get product for a considerable discount, uh, because they're it's, not, they're not fronting all the money for it. Right. The, the, the real kind of interesting filter of the story is that 
the United States is very resistant to foreign films. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, both, it's like the, the, the studio system and television are very resistant to them and their distribution as well. And they have trained American audiences to also be very resistant of non-American entertainment, except for, you know, very controlled, like, you know, um, whatever anime Funimation brings over, whatever is directly brought by BBC America, you know, it's just like these very specific channels and then like everything else gets choked um, as much as possible. So it's interesting to see, like, could we have entertainment for China? And the real answer is, why or the real question is, is why haven't we have been seeing entertainment from China this whole time? Oh, uh, well, for part of it, part of it is that for a long time, a lot of the content that, and, and, and if you watch a lot of the movies that are up on iTunes and whatnot, mm-hmm. you can really feel the governmental influence on the movies and the stories that are being told to the point where you can tell which dynasties the current government agrees with and which dynasties the current government doesn't agree with. Um, so some of that, there could be a lot of political ideologies that are floated in a lot of those movies that we don't get. Since this middle-class revolution, we're seeing a lot more pure entertainment-type stories that are being released that don't have that political subtext in them. Uh, and so I think that's why more people are starting to wake up and pay attention to, oh, here is here's something that is worth mm-hmm. my time. Uh, the reason why to answer, I think, Rodrigo's question of why have we not embraced this more is because for 50, 60 years, things in China are things made in China are. Oh, that's crap. It's made in China. Yeah. Cheap stuff made from China. Boo, boo, boo. It's awful stuff. Plus, yeah. there's a whole thing about communism that, uh, you know, people are still dealing with. So we've got 60 plus years of cheap stuff from China isn't very good. And communism that are still today a problem for many, even though it's it's not something that we normally talk about. Uh, it's still, I think, one of those ingrained notions that uh, get passed from generation to generation, sometimes without knowing it. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's probably another reason why you don't see a large acceptance of Chinese movies. Well, do you think with this uh, coming up of the middle class and us seeing our own essentially American finance films happening in China for portions of the film. Mm-hmm. Do you think within, you know, say the next five years, we'll see uh, a big Chinese film kind of run through the theaters here in the States? Oh yeah, like definitely. Major most theaters? definitely. Most definitely. Most definitely. Uh, in fact, there was one that, gosh, I forget the name of it. It was like something like hunting monsters or something. It was like a kind of a fantasy movie that came out. I want to say like, last October, something like that. Right around the same time, there was another big commercial success here in the United States. There's this movie in China that was a Chinese movie that even though the American movie was over there in China, it wasn't expected to do super well. The Chinese movie just blew it out of the water. I think this is what I just found before I came over here that I decided we got to do the next break uh, between summer movie releases. Was it The Mermaid? No, it was before the the, mermaid. But yes, mermaid has also been another one that had this. Yeah, mermaid is the biggest film I've done. Yeah, yeah. There was a one just before that, like a year ago, that was somewhat animated, had a lot of CG stuff in it. Um, One of our listeners will probably say it in the um, 
in the show notes or the comments section over at Majorspoilers.com. But it was also a huge success and blew out everything that was coming out of America at that time mm-hmm. because audience, Chinese audiences wanted to see that. So with that kind of a success, there's going to be someone who says, well, we need to start you know, developing movies for China and then we're going to release it in the United States. I mean, if you look at um, some of the movies lately in their release schedule, opens in the UK, opens in China, opens in Australia – weeks before it opens in the U.S. So I think we're starting to get to the point in movie production where the U.S. is not a primary market, where China is a primary market, and that's who they're going to be catering to. And so a lot of that influence will filter back over to films that we see in the theater. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's I think that's definitely something we're going to see, and I think we're going to see a Chinese film that is going to be a huge hit worldwide also be a wide release here in the United States. Uh, of course, you've got to get over the stigma of um, subtitles if they've got any subtitles or else they're going to have it dubbed or it's going to be a fully Chinese movie with Chinese actors speaking English. Which which you see plenty of times, you right. know, uh, what Michelle Yao yeah, and mm-hmm. Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan and Dan- Dan- Danny Yeo. Yeah. All of those guys, all of those guys speak English and they dub mm-hmm. their own. Jet Li, all those guys mm-hmm. yeah. dub their own lines. Yeah. Was Crouching Tiger subtitled? Yes. Okay. And how well did it do in America? I never very well. I mean, it, it was surprising. I mean, yeah. it was it was one of these movies that I think because it was uh, distributed by Sony Pictures Classic, it was kind of like, well, it's a foreign film, it's not going to do that well. But then it came out in the United States over a holiday week or over a holiday from basically November through um, January, and it just audiences packed the theater. I remember seeing mm-hmm. it on, I want to say Christmas Day or the day after Christmas. And the theater that I went to in California at the Irvine Spectrum, the theater was packed. I mean, I was sitting on the aisle. I wasn't with anyone, but the theater was packed on a Christmas day. And I was like, this is a lot of people go to the theaters on on Christmas Day. Yeah. And it it just continued to uh, grow and develop. And because of the martial arts stuff that was going on in the movie, it also took off by a lot of other audiences as well. Yeah, so I'm uh, gonna keep my eye on that. I really, I haven't watched the trailer for the Mermaid yet, but I'm interested because it was up on iTunes today. They said it was the biggest thing that's kind of happened in China, so I'm interested to see that, and we'll definitely keep our eyes out for that one gem of a Chinese film that might make it big here in America. Uh, so the last topic I had for today is I was reading an interview uh, from the director of uh, Drive, which I stars Ryan Gosling, which I really enjoyed, which came out a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. He also directed, uh, I believe it was called Only God Forgives with Ryan Gosling, like a year or two ago. That was kind of mixed results for that. Uh, he has a new film coming out, and I'm totally going to botch the name of it. Um, the Neon Demon? Oh, yeah, The Neon Demon. Tiny. And so he's been doing uh, interviews and things about that. Uh, and this one, one of the last questions, uh, of course, sorry, I'm talking about the director, Nicholas Winding Ruffin, um, and his films. The last question was... Um, the interviewer, oh, I guess I pulled it up. Uh, interviewer asked him about because a lot of Only God Forgives and Drive are very uh, violent films. Drive is mm-hmm. uh, extremely, extremely violent, and um, so the interviewer asked, "There's a lot of violence in your films, but that's not a lot of sex." And they wanted to know if there's uh, sex in this uh, Neon Demon film. And his answer was really interesting. I want to get your guys' opinion on it. Um, Because I think it's uh, worthy of discussion. He said, I've made a lot of sexy movies, but not a lot of physical sex. I found Drive very sexy. There's a difference between having sex and being sexy. And I usually don't find filming sex to be very interesting. You can watch it on a computer at home and everyone has sex. There's only so many things that you can show about it. Sex is always more interesting when it's subliminal. 
And that's an idea we've uh, talked a lot about with violence. Of It's more effective sometimes if you don't show the violence happening on screen and maybe the people can only hear it mm-hmm. or they have to picture it in their mind. Um, but I've never thought about that when it comes to sex. So what do you think about uh, Refn's comments about um, not showing physical sex in his films? Well, I mean, he's he's right on. I mean, I don't know... I don't know where I heard it from, but I heard it way long time ago when I was younger about the biggest sexual organ in the human body is the brain because we fantasize, we fill in the blanks, we do so many things. I mean, you've probably seen these um, pictures online where they're showing, you know, uh, how subliminal sex can be where they someone is maybe wearing just a, a full body bathing suit or something uh, or a bikini or something that's that's tasteful. But they put these black dots on different parts of the body and your mind fills in the blank to see that this person is naked and the person totally isn't naked, but our mind fills in this blank and says, Oh, there's, there's naked body parts. And the same way with sex, um, you can, you can suggest certain things are going on, uh, and you can let the audience fill in the, the rest. And it suddenly becomes much more erotic, much more sexual in nature than what you actually see on the screen. When we see things on television or movies today where there's a lot of sex and I forget what the was it good girls or bad girls. What is this show on TV where the girl was bent over the sink and had some things done to her? Uh, it's pretty graphic. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll find the name of the show here in just a minute. But um, and I think it was an HBO show. Or was it just girls? Yeah, just there's girls. a lot yeah, of yeah. girls. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of graphic sex on girls, but on girls, a lot of the time it's not meant to be sexy. No, I, I don't think so. But the one that I'm specifically thinking of was with Allison Williams and what was done to her hind end by her lover. And that just comes off as more graphic and shock value. Sure. And the reason why you're doing that is for pure shock value to get people talking about, Oh my gosh, did you see what happened to her and or him or whatever? And so that, that doesn't become as, titillating or erotic or sexy because it's boom right there in front of you. What do you think about this, Rodrigo? Because I think, you know, um, in book form, Fifty Shades of Grey was a big deal. Uh, obviously, that kind of plays with the mind a lot. But in the movie, I think it was still relatively successful and it was more um, graphic and sex. And we've seen other things that are definitely more graphic uh, than that film be successful um, so what do you think about his comments? I think when sex isn't the focus of the movie, I think he's definitely, well, actually, I think he's right across the board. But I think when you advertise a movie as this is a sexy movie, then you're going to come have people come see it regardless mm-hmm. of how graphic you actually are. Right. Which is, I think, what Fifty Shades of Grey had going for it, that everybody knew that it came from a very sexy rectangle of pages. What do you call those? <laughs> Books. Books, yeah. Um, so, um, but I agree. Uh, you know, uh, sexiness in movies is a lot like suspense. You know, it's this kind of like you have to like build it up. And there are movies that are masterful at building it up to about the halfway point. And you're like, this is sexy. Some sexy stuff is happening. And then the characters go off and have sex and you don't see it. And it, that in and of itself is satisfying because really the what is sexy about it is that interaction between two people 
you know, you just kind of automatically put yourself in the like on the side of the person that is like receiving the attention from the person you like. Um, and that can be very satisfying. So, yeah, no, I would agree that like and like suspense, you know, a lot of the time, like the killer has to show up at some point and try to stab someone. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not what's exciting about suspenseful movies. What's exciting about it is the build up to it. And it's the same thing with sex. And the moment that your characters do it, that's when you lose that. If you've seen um, was that Ashton Kutcher and Natalie Portman movie? Um, uh, it's like oh, the one where they were um, yeah, it's friends, like a, just friends or whatever. Yeah, it's like no strings. Yeah, yeah, like, no strings yeah. attached. No strings attached. Yeah. And friends with benefits came out like the same year, yep. and I never remember which <laughs> I, one's which. Yeah, I agree. And I think both of those movies, uh, essentially, because the point is not actually the sex. You know, they're very sexy at first. Then the characters actually start having sex, and then it becomes about the problems that, that right. causes. Right. Um. And 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 they're fine. Um. But when you think about the sexiest part of those movies, it's not when they're like rolling around under the sheets. It's actually the buildup to mm -hmm. those moments. Yeah. And I agree too. Cause I think, um, when you look at a film like her, which I think the, uh, sex scene between, um, the main character and Scarlett Johansson's voice, uh, which takes place on a completely black screen and just voices is probably mm -hmm. one of the most erotic things to ever happen. Yeah, in because cinema. your mind, your mind's yeah. filling in that blank. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not a technique that we find. It's, 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 I think it's like uh, the thing we always point to with the violence is when Tarantino panned away from the guy getting his ear cut off. And I mean, that's a quick thing. I think building up this subliminal, uh, sex in a film, you know, take some time. And I don't think that it's something we generally well, see, or at least I'm not because ways are doing it because doing something where you're insinuating and building up requires extra work. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a big difference between, okay, you two or three or however many that are involved, take off your clothes. Right. That's a lot and easier to do. I mean, it, 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 technically it's, it's, it's maybe problematic, but it's so much easier to just say, and they take their clothes off and they roll around in bed as opposed well, to and he's touching her. She's touching him. They do this, they do that. And that's, that's, that can be a lot harder for people to get across in a story or maybe something that they're not able to deal with. Same way with violence. It's much easier to show someone's head exploding than it is to write something more effective that conveys that same, that same idea. And it's riskier. A film that's or, or a scene that's supposed to be sexy um, and kind of give you that slow, sexy burn is just tanks your movie, just crashes it entirely if it doesn't work, if it turns out to be funny when it's not supposed to be or goofy or or creepy, you know, um, and I've I've seen it. Uh, I, have you guys ever seen Sea of Love? I don't no. think so. Is that a uh, uh, Selma Hayek movie? No, that's like okay. Oh, God, is it a Al Pacino, Robert De Niro? I get them oh, confused. Oh, okay. All right, I I probably know which one you're talking about now. Anyway, the the reason why it's called Sea of Love is because there's the serial killer, and whenever this person kills their victims, they leave 
a record player playing Sea of Love, um, which must have been so confusing for all the ladies that went into this movie expecting <laughs> it to be a romantic comedy. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, or guys, too. Um, but there's a sex scene in it, and watching it, there are moments when it's not sexy. Um, and it's like actually weirdly funny. And that's to me, that was unsuccessful and it kind of takes you out of it. Um, and, and I think that can happen in a lot of movies, but that movie took that risk. It's a lot easier to bank a movie. And you see that a lot of movies that are supposed to be sexy, like your, um, uh, wild things or anything like that. It kind of banks on there's a sexy girl in it. And you're going to see her mostly naked or totally naked, right? Mm-hmm. It's like what a lot of people would would consider like these like standard sexy movies. Like this young new actress is likely to take off her clothes, and that's what makes a sexy movie. And that's like the risk free way of doing it because a hot lady on screen is you know automatically pleasing, um, but. Um, it doesn't take any effort and putting in the effort gives you both the risk and the reward. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, it, it, you're right, Stephen, it just, it would take way more work to pull that off and it's probably not as easily marketable as, you know, because um, someone wants to go in and see Kevin Bacon fully, Full frontal nudity. Is Kevin Bacon done full frontal? Yeah, in uh, in the in Wild uh, Things. In Wild Things. Oh, I don't know yeah. what that is. <laughs> oh, you got to watch it. It's it's a rather interesting movie. Uh, yeah, it's got a Wild lot of things, sexy sexy in it. But um, yeah, at the Wild uh, Things is a is a is an interesting case because it's like a movie that is not like after you watch it, if you think about it, a it's not as smart as it thinks it is, and it's not as sexy as it thinks it is. But man, while you're watching it, you're like, this movie is so smart and sexy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's got, like, at the time, it had two of the um, more attractive women in Hollywood. It had Nev Campbell and um, Denise Richards Denise Richards in it. And they're both in swimsuits that, uh, when they get wet, you can kind of see some things. Oh, yeah. Uh, but no. neither one of them ever get totally naked in the movie. Uh, you, see, you see Denise Richards topless. Wild Things came out when I was in high school, so I've got some experience <laughs> yeah. with it. Wild Things is the thing that was always playing when you went to visit friends, and they're like, dude, have you seen this movie? And I'm like, yeah, dude, I've seen Wild Things. They're like, you want to you watch it again? I'm like, can we not? It's, cre- <laughs> it's creepy to watch you watch Wild Things. Yeah. <laughs> well, great. I just wanted to, there's some topics I thought we'd talk about this week while we wait to head back to the theater and talk about some films next week. It's going to be a kind of a big week next week, Stephen. I guess, yeah. I, it's going to be a little weird. I think certainly we're going to go see over the weekend. We'll go see Nice Guys because our theater doesn't know whether they want to have it in the theater <laughs> no, or not have it they, in the theater. They, they have to look at it, what everyone else is doing first. And then, of course, we've got um, Apocalypse X Men now coming out next week as well. So maybe two Zach on films, or we'll figure something out. We'll see next it. week because we'll what's the what's the week after that? I don't really know. So I only plan so far ahead in my life. Oh, okay. Well, let's. Uh, I think it's nothing. Well, after that, it's just not crazy well, here's big a, films. Here's a question that here's a question that um, maybe our listeners can help us out on. Uh, I what like up? to I like to have us go to see the movie on Thursday, see it in that showing, come back, record a Zach on film. So Friday morning, that show with our thoughts and spoilers and all that stuff is right there waiting 
for our audience to either listen to before they go see the movie or as soon as they're done seeing the movie, they can listen to it right away. Mm -hmm. So there's that kind of thing that's going on. Or would it be better if we go see the movie on the weekend that it comes out, we record it on uh, a regular time of that we record it, but it still comes out on Friday, meaning that it's been a week Week. since that movie's release and you've given Mm -hmm. enough enough time to to see see it. it. And then you can listen to it. Although, you know, I I would think that it's, oh, hey, these guys are talking about uh, X-Men Apocalypse. I haven't seen the movie yet, so I'll wait until that, until I see the movie to listen to it. So maybe our audience can help us out with that and and let us know. What would you prefer? Would you rather have that waiting there first thing in the morning of day of release? Because again, a lot of reviews go up the day that the movie hits or a Mm -hmm. couple of days before the movie hits. Uh, And some people may want it to be a little bit longer. So use that comment section over at Majorspoilers.com and uh, share your thoughts on that. Uh, The week after X-Men Apocalypse is Me Before You, Pop star, never stop, never stopping, <laughs> and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles out of the shadow. Oh, have you guys seen the first Ninja Turtles? No, you mean I the can't. one from back it's... in '89 or whatever. No, 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 no. The, the the first Michael I, Bay one. No, because no. Paramount made me mad, and uh, I oh yeah, to I remember do any that. kind of discussion I, I, about that. Yeah, crap I, remember, I, I remember that. Um, yeah, I can't. Like it's. It's on Hulu. You can just watch it if you have uh, Hulu Plus. Yeah. And I can't get through it. Like, I start watching it, and I'm just <laughs> like, I I just suddenly remember that there are, like, dishes to be washed or, like, mm-hmm. dogs to be walked. Like, it's amazing how many chores I've started just because I didn't want to keep watching the Ninja Turtles movie. Yeah, but Popstar looks awesome. Yeah, that does look. I, I was like, you know, I, anytime Andy Sandberg comes out with something, I have high hopes for it, um, and like it just never seems to perform all that well. I don't think Hot Rod did that well. Um, I love I don't Hot think, Rod though. Um, I don't think. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm sure they're fun yeah, movies. Yeah, sure you did, Zach. Yeah, 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 sure you did. <laughs> what was that other one? Dumb child. Where um, Adam Adam Sandler is Andy Sandberg's dad. Oh, like stepdad or something like that. Yeah, something like Daddy's Boy or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that did not look good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but next week we'll definitely have uh, a new episode, at least one, yeah. for you, talking about a new release in the theater. So thanks, Stephen and Rodrigo, for joining us this week. Uh, head over to Majorspoilers.com. Like Stephen said, give your thoughts and opinions about any of the topics we discussed this week. And as well as, uh, when do you, is, is it more favorable for you to listen to one of the new releases? You like it right afterwards? You like a little bit of, you like some time to go to the theater and watch it? If you can't get to there on that Thursday night showing, um, let us know. Give us your opinion. It might influence what we do. Who knows? But while you're there, make sure to click on Amazon.com link at Major Spoilers homepage. Uh, you can do all of your shopping through Amazon that way. But none of the products will cost you any more. Um, but a little bit of that purchase price will come back to Major Spoilers to help keep content like this. And so much more coming to you day after day after day after day after day forever and never and ever. And it'll never stop. And Major Spoilers will go on for forever. That's what I want to happen. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that's it for this week of Zach on Film. We'll see you next week. This podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.